right. Hey, everybody. Did you finish gushing over the last uh, chapter? Because I haven't. That letter still got me. It's so good. Um, so I think my only chapter note for today is um, about proposals back then. Really, all it took was telling someone you loved them. And it was like a done deal. If you loved someone, you married them. That was kind of accepted. And he definitely told her that he cared only for her. He wasn't caring for anyone else. So it, for all purposes back then, that was considered a proposal without directly saying, will you marry me? Which is something that we're more accustomed to hearing. And so, yes, back then it didn't take that because... I don't know that, and I think we've talked about it some. I've already forgotten. It's been quite a month that we've been doing this, but um, yeah, the whole if you cared for someone, why wouldn't you marry them? Like they just they 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 didn't do dating. I mean, you could court someone with a view of marrying them, and then you could break off the courtship. But as soon as you told someone that you loved them, it was like, well, I found love, and you're a you know, of the same class as me, of the same, like, wealth income index as me, why wouldn't I marry you? Like, if you had love, marriage just naturally followed. And now we're like, okay, you can be in love, but you can take time and you can make sure that, yes, your love is going to endure and that all the other aspects of your relationship are going to work and da-da-da-da-da. Like, then it was just a lot more that if you loved someone, you were just going to make it work that the first time you fell in love if it was a, an agreeable person you would marry them because the chances were if you tried to fall in love again with someone else you'd find out something you didn't want to find out and you wouldn't be able to marry them so and as many you know researchers today suggest love is not so much a momentary feeling as a commitment to staying in love so I could see the reasoning behind if I loved someone why wouldn't I marry them I can see it it goes a little against the modern ideas of our idea of what marriage should be and what love is but I, I, I can see it I, I it, it's a little surprising I know um I was showing Jane Austen movies to a friend the other weekend and she was just like, wow, so you fell in love, you're 17, and you're like, I'm going to marry him? Really? <laughs> I mean, I get it, because, yeah, we all had that first love, and I'm, like, really glad I didn't marry that first love, because that would have been awful. But, I mean, that back then, you just, you made it work, and you did the best you could. And um, when there was no security for women in life unless they were married, I could see why you'd jump on the first chance you had that looked reasonable for happiness. Um, I could definitely see that because now we can take our time and fall in real love love and make sure it's not just love but an enduring relationship because we don't have to worry about if your dad dies, you're going to be homeless. And you know, like... We we have a bit more security um, in our society for women, and I do yeah. So that that that's another difference. Anyway, he essentially proposed to her by telling her that he loved her, or that he cared for none but her. But he also says, I mean, for you alone, I think and plan. So I mean, that's definitely saying planning future. We'll we'll be together. 
um, let me know my fate. Um, so yes, he definitely has proposed in all, for, yeah, for all intents and purposes, he has proposed. Alright, with that out of the way, we're going to get started on part two of chapter 11. They were in Union Street when a quicker step behind, a something familiar sound, gave her two moments' preparation for the sight of Captain Wentworth. He joined them, but, as if irresolute whether to join or pass on, said nothing, only looked. Anne could command herself enough to receive that look, and not repulsively. The cheeks which had been pale now glowed, and the movements which had hesitated were decided. He walked by her side. Presently, struck by a sudden thought, Charles said, "'Captain Wentworth, which way are you going? Only to Gay Street or further up the town?' "'I hardly know,' replied Captain Wentworth, surprised. "'Are you going high as Belmont? Are you going near Camden Place? Because if you are, I shall have no scruple in asking you to take my place and give Anne your arm to her father's door. She is rather done for this morning and must not go so far without help.' "'and I ought to be at that fellow's in the marketplace. "'He promised me the sight of a capital gun "'that he is just going to send off "'and said he would keep it unpacked "'to the last possible moment that I might see it. "'If I do not turn back now, I shall have no chance. "'By his description, it's a good deal "'like the second-sized double barrel of mine "'which you shot the one day round Rin Winthrop. "'There could not be an objection. "'There could only be a most proper clarity "'and most obliging complacence for public view.' and smiles reined in, and spirits dancing in private rapture. In half a minute, Charles was at the bottom of Union Street again, and the other two proceeding together, and soon words enough had passed between them to decide their direction, and walks towards the comparatively quiet and retired gravel walk, where the power of conversation would make the present hour a blessing indeed, and prepare for the and prepare for all the immortality which the happiest recollections of their own future lives could bestow. They exchanged again those feelings and those promises which had once before seemed to secure everything, but which had been followed by so many, many years of division and estrangement. There they returned again into the past, more exquisitely happy, perhaps, in their reunion than when it had first been projected, more tender, more tried, more fixed in the knowledge of each other's character, truth and attachment, more equal to act, more justified in acting." And there, as they slowly paced the gradual ascent, heedless of every group around them, neither seeing neither sauntering politicians, bustling housekeepers, flirting girls, nor nursery maids and children, they could indulge in those retrospections and acknowledgments, and especially in those explanations of what had directly preceded the present moment, which were so poignant to, and ceaseless in interest. All the little variations of the last week were gone through, and of yesterday and today there could scarcely be an end. She had not mistaken him. Jealousy of Mr. Elliot had been the retarding weight, the doubt, the torment. That had begun to operate in the very first hour of meeting her in Bath, and had returned, after a short suspension, to ruin the concert, and that had influenced him in everything that he had said and done, or admitted to say and do, in the last twenty-four hours. It had been a gradually... It had been gradually yielding to the better hopes which her looks or her words or her actions occasionally encouraged. It had been vanquished at last by those sentiments and those tones which had reached him while she talked with Captain Harville, and under the irresistible governance which he had seized a sheet of paper and poured out his feelings. 
Of what he had written, there was nothing to be retracted or qualified. He persisted in having loved none but her. She had never been supplanted. He had never believed himself to see her equal. The, this, thus much, indeed, he was obliged to acknowledge that he had been constant unconsciously, nay, unintentionally, that he had meant to forget her, believed it to be done. He had imagined himself indifferent when he had only been angry, and he had been unjust to her merits because he had been to suffer for them. Her character was now fixed in on his mind as perfection itself, maintaining the loveliest medium of fortitude and gentleness. But he was obliged to acknowledge that only at Uppercross had he learnt to do her justice, and only at Lyme had he begun to understand himself. At Lyme he had received lessons of more than one sort. The passing admiration of Mr. Elliot had at least roused him on the scenes of the Cobb and Captain Harville's. Captain Harville's had fixed her superiority. In his preceding attempts to attach himself to Louisa Musgrove, the attempts of angry pride, he protested that he had felt he had forever felt it to be impossible that he had not cared, could not care for Louisa, though till that day, till the leisure for reflection which followed it, he had not understood the perfect excellence of the mind with which Louisa could so ill bear comparison, or the perfect unrivaled or the perfect unrivaled hold it possessed over his own. There he had learnt to distinguish between the steadiness of principle and the obstinacy of self-will, between the darings of heedlessness and the resolution of a collected mind. There he had seen everything to exalt his estimation of the woman he had lost, and there he began to deplore the pride, the folly, the madness of resentment, which had kept him from trying to reign her when thrown in his way. Regain, not reign. Regain her. <laughs> She's not a horse. From that period, his penance had become severe. He had no sooner been free from the horror and remorse attending to the first few days of Louise's accident, no sooner began to feel himself alive again, than he began to feel himself, though alive, not at liberty. "'I found,' said he, "'that I was considered by Harville an engaged man, that neither Harville nor his wife entertained a doubt of our mutual attachment. I was startled and shocked. To degree I—' Oops, my phone went dark. Are you still recording, little phone? I think so. Okay, we're gonna go on. To a degree, I could not contradict this instantly, but when I began to reflect that others might have felt the same, her own family, nay, perhaps herself, I was no longer at my own disposal. I was hers in honor if she wished it. I had been unguarded. I had not thought seriously on this subject before. I had not considered that my excessive intimacy must have its danger of ill consequence in many ways, and that I had no right to be trying whether I could attach myself to either of the girls, at risk of raising even an unpleasant rapport, there were no other ill effects. I had been grossly wrong to ab and must abide the consequences. Um, this is just proof of his own good character. Um, he, like we talked about before, he definitely showed himself to be open to receiving flirting by the two girls, um, especially by Louisa. He claims that he was kind of blind to that. He didn't really realize how in debt or how um, in deep he got himself. And that when Louisa had her accident and he was staying with them, he found out that they all considered them pretty much engaged. And he didn't know if Louisa felt that way, but he realized that by honor, 
he needed to consider himself engaged too until he found out if Louisa wanted it because he is a good person and realized that if you make a girl fall in love with you, you need to man up and be her man and marry her if she wants it. And uh, yes, okay, that is very different from our current points of view on attachment and everything, but back then it was very important to jilt a young lady would not only hurt her, and he didn't want to hurt her because she's a nice girl and he's a nice person, but it could also damage her reputation if um, it could make other men look at her differently. In Pride and Prejudice, for instance, Mr. Darcy says of Elizabeth Bennet that he had no wish to give, what is it, give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. Um, he didn't want to dance with her because no other man was dancing with her. Um, it, it is a snobbish, silly thing to say, very prideful. But it's also a thing, like, sometimes when someone gets rejected by a man who had seemed on the point of engagement, other people would look around and say, well, what's wrong with her? Why didn't he want to marry her? What did she do? What's going on there? It could become a point of gossip. And like we talked about, gossip can be deadly for a young woman's reputation. And so he, as an honorable person, is going to stay. He just said he had to stay and find out if Louisa wanted him because then he'd consider himself engaged to her and give up his own happiness. And I... I know, from our modern point of view, it's kind of silly, but from back then, it's a deeply honorable thing to do, and I think it's very, very good. It shows his good character. Uh, I think it shows him in a very good light that he had been... He'd been in the wrong, and he knew it, and he was going to make amends. I mean, that that I think that's great. Okay, we're going to move on. I'm gushing about Wentworth now, but he's so darling. I mean, really, he's just... Yeah, okay, moving on. He found out too late in short that he had entangled himself and that precisely as he was becoming fully satisfied of his not caring for Louisa at all, he must regard himself as bound to her. The sentiments for him were what the Harville supposed. It determined him to leave Lyme and await her recovery elsewhere. He would gladly weaken by any fair means whatever feelings or speculations concerning him might exist. And he went therefore to his brothers, meaning after a while to return to Kellich and act as circumstances might require. I was six weeks with Edward, said he, and I saw him happy. I could have no other pleasure. I deserved none. He inquired after you particularly, even asked if you were personally altered, little suspecting that to my eye you could never alter. Anne smiled and let it pass. It was too pleasing a blunder for reproach. It was something for which a woman, to be assured, in her eight-and-twentieth year, that she had not lost one charm of her earlier youth, but the value of such an homage was inexpressibly increased to Anne by comparing it with former words and feeling it to be the result, not the cause, of a revival of his warm attachment. <laughs> Meaning she remembers that his mean words to Mary, that she was so altered he could not have known her, she knows he didn't fall in love with me again because I'm pretty. <laughs> and now he considers me pretty because he's in love with me. Which... As a little, I don't know, Anne is a little down on herself there because we've heard other people remark that she's much prettier now, um, that she's had a little sea air and she got out of Kellich and she's had fresh scenes to be around. Um, so we have heard that Anne is pretty, but Anne is, yeah, Anne's laughing and saying, 
Well, at least you didn't fall in love with me because I'm pretty. <laughs> but it's a cute thing to say that you would never alter to my eye. Ugh, darling. He had remained in Shropshire, lamenting the blindness of his own pride and blunders of his calculations, till at once released from Louisa by the astonishing and felicitous intelligence of her engagement to Benwick. Here, said he, ended the worst of my state, for now I could at least put myself in the way of happiness, I could exert myself, I could do something. But to be waiting so long in inaction, and waiting for only evil, had been dreadful. Within the first five minutes, I said, I will be at Bath on Wednesday, and I was. Was this unpardonable to think it worth my while to come, and to arrive with some degree of hope? You were single. It was possible you might retain the feelings of the past, as I did, and one encouragement happened to be mine. I could never doubt that you would be loved and sought by others, but I knew to a certainty that you had refused one man at least of better pretensions than myself, and I could not help often saying, Was this for me? Till their first meeting in Milsom Street afforded much to be said, and the concert still more, the evening seemed to be made up of exquisite moments, the moment of her stepping forward in the octagon room to speak to him, the moment of Mr. Elliot's appearing and tearing her away, and one or two subsequent moments marked by returning hope or increasing despondence were dwelt on with energy. "'To see you,' cried he, "'in the midst of those who could not be my well-wishers, "'to see your close cousin close by you, conversing and smiling, "'to feel all the horrible ineligibilities and proprieties of the match, "'to consider it as a certain wish of every being who could hope to influence you, "'even if your own feelings were reluctant or indifferent "'to consider what powerful supporters would be his. "'Was it not enough to make of the fool of me which I appeared?' How could I look on without agony? Was it not the very sight of the friend who sat behind you? Was this not a recollection of what had been? The knowledge of her influence, the indelible, immovable impression of what persuasion had once done, was this not all against me? You should have distinguished, replied Anne. You should not have suspected me now, the case so different, my age so different. If I... If I was wrong in yielding to persuasion once, remember that it was the persuasion exerted on the side of safety, not risk. When I yielded, I thought it was my duty, but no duty could be called on in aid here. In marrying a man indifferent to me, all risk would have been incurred and all duty violated. Perhaps I ought to have reasoned thus, he replied, but I could not. I could not derive benefit from the late knowledge I had acquired of your character. I could not bring it into any play. It was overwhelmed, buried, lost in all those earlier feelings which I had been smarting under year after year. I could think only of you as one who had yielded, who had given me up, who had been influenced in any way rather than by me. I saw you with the very person who had guided you in that year of misery. I had no reason to believe of her less authority now. The force of habit was to be added." "'I should have thought,' said Anne, "'that my manner to yourself might have spared you much or all of this.' "'No, no. Your manner might only be the ease of your engagement which another man could give. "'I left you in this belief, and yet I was determined to see you again. "'My spirits rallied with the morning, and I felt that I still had a motive for remaining here.' "'Um, so he says, "'Your manner might only be the ease which your engagement to another man would give.' 
So when women were engaged and married, they were allowed a little more freedom to talk openly with other men, um, which might seem contrary now to our ideas. You'd think single people would be able to talk to other men, but no, only engaged and married ladies were really safe to talk to men. Um, and so he's saying that your openness to me at the concert and in those other might be explained by you having been in a secret engagement and now you were comfortable talking to men um, because you knew that you were promised to one and so you were allowed to show your feelings to other people um yeah again it's kind of backwards of the way we do things now but 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 yeah because <laughs> now you know like when you lots of married people feel like you know they can't have friends or talk to the opposite sex without making their partner and and jealous and you know so yeah it's just kind of opposite now anyway that yeah okay where am i i'm a little all over the place today i realize this this story is so exciting though i'm just i'm all jittery at last Anne was home again and happier than anyone in the house could have conceived and all the surprise and suspense and every other painful part of the morning dissipated by this conversation, she re-entered re the house so happy as to be obliged to find an alloy in some momentary apprehensions of it being impossible at last. At an interval of medi meditation, serious and grateful, it was the best corrective of everything dangerous in such high-wrought felicity, and she went to her room and grew in steadfastness and fearlessness in the thankfulness of her enjoyment. The evening came, the drawing-rooms were lighted up, and the company assembled. It was but a card-party, it was but a mixture of those who had never met before, and those who met too often, a commonplace business, too numerous for intimacy, too small for variety, but Anne had never found an evening shorter, glowing and lovely in sensibility and happiness, and more generally admired than she thought about or cared for. She had a cheerful or forbearing feelings of every creature around her. Mr. Elliot was there. She avoided him, but she could pity him. The Wallaces, she had amusement in understanding them. Lady Darwimple and Miss Carteret, they would soon be innoxious cousins to her. She cared not for Mrs. Clay, and had nothing to blush for the public manners of her father and sister. When the Musgroves there was a happy chat of perfect ease, and Captain Harville, and the kind-hearted kind intercourse of a brother and sister. With Lady Russell, attempts at conversation with delicious consciousness cut short, and with Admiral and Mrs. Croft, everything particular, of peculiar cordiality and fervent interest which the same consciousness sought to conceal, and with Captain Wentworth, some moments of communication continually occurring, and always the hope of more, always the knowledge of his being there. It was one of those short meetings, each apparently occupied in admiring a fine display of greenhouse plants, that she said, I've been thinking over the past, trying impartially to judge the right and wrong. I mean to regard to myself. I must believe that I was right, much as I suffered from it, that I was perfectly right in being guided by the friend whom you will love better than you do now. To me she was in the place of a parent. Do not mistake me, however. I am not saying that she did not err in her advice. This was perhaps one of those cases in which advice is good or bad only as the event decides, and for myself I certainly never should, in any circumstance of tolerable similarity, give such advice. But I mean that I was right in submitting to her and that if I had done otherwise, I should have been suffered more in continuing the engagement than I did in giving it up, because I should have suffered in my conscience. 
I have now, as far as sentiment is allowable in human nature, nothing to reproach myself with, and, if I mistake not, a strong sense of duty is no bad part of a woman's portion. He looked at her, looked at Lady Russell, and looking again at her, and replied if in cool deliberation, Not yet, but there are hopes for her being forgiven in time. I trust in being with charity in her soon, but I too have been thinking over the past, a question has suggested itself, whether there may not have been one person more my enemy than even that lady, my own self. Tell me, when I return to England in the year eight, well, he means, um, 1808. My, the, when I returned to England in the year 8 with a few thousand pounds and was posted to the Laconia, if I had then written to you, would you have answered my letter? Would you have, in short, have renewed the engagement then? Would I? was all her answer, but the accent was decisive enough. Good God! he cried. You would? It is not that I did not think of it or desire it, as... What could alone crown all my other successes? But I was proud, too proud to ask again. I did not understand you. I shut my eyes and would not understand you or do you justice. This is a recollection which ought to make me forgive everyone sooner than myself. Six years of separation and suffering might have been spared. It is a sort of pain, too, which is new to me. I have been used to the gratification of believing myself to earn every blessing that I enjoyed. I valued myself honourable on toils and just rewards, like other great men under reserves. He added with a smile, I must endeavour to subdue my mind to my fortune. I must learn to brook being happier than I deserve. <laughs> End chapter 11. Oh my goodness. I almost broke myself to being happier than I deserve. That's just adorable. Have I mentioned that I find Wentworth adorable? Because he's adorable. Um, so, yes, there is the end of chapter 11. They um, they have now talked over the past, and this Anne is still convinced that she did right, because now she can proceed into the future with that clear conscience. Um, a very interesting point of view that if she'd accepted him back then, she would have felt guilty forever. Um, and now she can move on happily. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very honorable. And, you know, that, that, um, feeling of duty also is not something that we have so much in our, in, in the culture now. Um, at least in my culture, I mean, you know, you might belong there are cultures in the world that have that strong sense of duty, but you know, anyway, it, it, it's an interesting thought. And, um, I definitely, definitely like her sticking up for herself and he, he understands her now. And I think that's really sweet. Um, I like that he said, you know, that soon he hopes to be friends with lady Russell. He's not going to hold it against her forever. Um, because he's realized now that he's to blame. And I think that's also, I mean, I, okay. I'm, I'm a little more resentful of as a person. So I, I get why he says he's to blame because yeah, technically if he had written to her right away, he would have been accepted and it would have all been fine possibly, but I get his not doing it. I mean, it's very understandable to me. Like, 
she she dumped him like it hurts and he was resentful and I get that because I'm a little more that way myself I think um but it is interesting to think that you know if he had not been so prideful this would be a very very different story I think I you know in their walk Jane Austen mentions that they're happier now because of everything that they went through than when they first were engaged. And I think that's also very true to, um, you know, and now they're older and they, they've seen more of other people and other relationships. And I think that gives them a better perspective for going into marriage. But, and of course that's my bias because I, you know, I see young people getting married at 19 and I'm like, what are you doing? No, stop. You know, and that, that's my personal bias. Um, but, yeah, they really know each other much better now. She understands him. He finally really understands her. It sounds like, you know, he never really got why she did what she did until recently. And I think that, yes, they will be a much happier couple now. So is it all, they're saying it's all worth it. And I think that's, I think that's lovely. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a really sweet story because of that. You know, if they had a lot of regret over them, then they have regret over the missing years. But if they were just more regretful over the missing years, I think it would be kind of a more bittersweet story. But I don't know, because of the way it's worked out, I think it's a very happy story. Um, so, yes, so they um, they are engaged at this point, um, but he will have to ask Sir Walter um for Anne's hand before they can declare anything official. So that's why they're still being like really like secrety secrety at the party and stuff is because he um, hasn't formally asked for Anne's hand yet. So it's just a secret engagement for the time being, which was pretty common. The couple would agree to it themselves. Then you go ask the parents if it was agreeable to them. Um, so yeah, they've still got to, get through that and Sir Walter was not very liking Wentworth in the past. Wentworth has money now so we'll see if that changes Sir Walter's point of view on this whole situation. Oh, The other thing I was going to mention is when they first meet up in the um, street and they had to restrain their smiles and curtail their enjoyment and just be privately happy. That is a very... Um, classic thing in this time period you did not show your emotions so that other people could see them um i think it's still kind of an english thing today from what i've seen um and uh but yeah so it was uh they they had to hide their their smiles not not show the world how they're feeling try to keep it all inside um and i just think that's that's adorable i i am not one of those types of people like you probably know this, you've been hearing me talk for weeks, but I wear my emotions on my sleeve, I feel every emotion super keenly, and it's like loud all the time, I don't, I don't keep anything inside, it's just not my style, um, I would not have done well in a Regency romance, basically, <laughs> because, yeah, um, can't, can't keep it in, but they do it, they do a good job of it, although, they're 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 so much in their own enjoyment they don't see anything of the walk as they go by and I just think that's ah you're you're so in love it's so cute anyway so I will stop gushing over this adorable couple um I could talk at great lengths about how cute I find Wentworth and how darling I find Anne 
I will I will hold back. Um, we have one chapter to go, so I will see you all next time. I still haven't decided what we're going to read when we finish Persuasion, uh, so let me know your thoughts. Bye for now, everybody.